We're talking with Daryl Anger, who's going to be playing at the Nevada Theater this coming Wednesday for the Paul Emery Music Series. Daryl, our old friend from Nevada City, it's great to talk with you. Oh, man. Felton, it's great to hear your voice. Great to talk to you. And it's great to know that I'm going to be coming back out there for a couple of days. That place is, is so dear to my heart and the people, you know. Oh, other cranky old semi-retired artists about my age. I'm just really looking forward to seeing everybody. Well, you're going to be playing with three of them. I sure am. Yeah, some of the most talented people I know, really. It's really going to be great. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, you know, John Gurton, who you know, I've admired for many years. We just met last year for the first time. It's so funny, you know, after you know, kind of crossing paths backstage for so many years and, and so forth, you know, Johnson fantastic musician and of course i've known peter for a couple of years now and yeah peter wilson who i really sort of met well got to know anyway was living up there and just a kind of a genius in so many ways just one of those guys that can do everything and anything you know seems to have a good time doing it and then of course joe craven who is inimitable and nobody has ever been anything like that guy and i've known joe for you know at least 25 30 years now he just keeps getting more and more ridiculously amazing and, and more himself. So it's the four of you, Peter Wilson, Joe Craven, John Gurton, and Daryl Anger, next Wednesday at the Nevada Theater. Doors open at 6.30, show at 7 o'clock, and man, this is going to be like an all-star event. Well, yeah, and a kind of a reunion, you know, all kinds of things. And the difference with this event, I think, is that we were actually preparing <laughs> a bit. You know, we're actually going to do a little rehearsing, and we're kind of trying to decide what we're going to do ahead of time. So I hope it's better. <laughs> it should be better, you know, where everybody's a good improviser. But I think, you know, a little preparation should really, you know, make this thing come up to the, uh, you know, to the standards of the Nevada Theater, which is, of course, you know, such an amazing place. Felton, maybe you can set me straight on this. I hear there's some new, like a mural or something that's been added to that theater. They the did the theater. They did some renovations in there, and I have to tell you, I haven't been in it yet, so next Wednesday will be my first time in there as well. We'll get to see it together. Well, We're talking with Daryl Anger. Daryl, let's, let's talk a little bit about your history now. The first time I ran across you was in the David Grisman, I guess, quintet or something back in the late 70s out in San Francisco. Man, so you sure you want to date yourself back that far? I was six. I was six years old. You were eight. Yes. Yes, we were very precocious indeed. I mean, we have been doing this for a long time, whatever it is that we have been doing. And it's. Uh, I think it shows. You know, I think there's a certain level of uh, solidity, you know, in, in what we're doing. And it, I think we both got into the level of just like, okay, well, you know, this is us. It's just coming straight from the heart, you know, take it or leave it, love it or do it. Well, <laughs> I consider you to be a world-class fiddler. How did you start out in music? Was the violin, the fiddle, your first instrument? The guitar actually was my first instrument because I am of that demographic that got hit by the Beatles very hard. That was my thing. You know, I, I wanted to be George Harrison and my folks bought me a guitar, which was basically, I mean, at that point, you know, early 60s, you could get a cheap guitar, but it usually was not playable. Now you can get a decent, cheap guitar that anybody can play. And there's so many great guitars that are inexpensive. But back then, it was harder to do, and I couldn't press the strings down on the thing. And so uh, we were in a restaurant or something with my parents, and there was some guys doing the strolling string thing. He was, like, strolling and playing 
standards and i'm going like wow that looks a lot easier than the guitar <laughs> i'll play that <laughs> that was my second mistake you know but but i've been playing since i've been playing fiddle since oh man since 72 or something like that and that of course i had been playing violin until then but i didn't even know fiddling existed until i saw richard green with a group called c train which also featured peter rowan a couple other you know really well-known uh, you know folks larry adamanuick and really an all-star group and richard just you know changed my world completely that was it for me i was a fiddle player from then on now david bromberg tells me the difference between a fiddle and a violin is about three thousand uh, dollars what's your definition of the difference between <laughs> a fiddle and yeah. a violin well you know there's a couple of great ones you know i, I great uh, jazz violinist johnny figo told me that for him the difference between a violin and a fiddle was about three hundred dollars a week Oh, okay. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, no one cares to spill beer on a fiddle. Right? Yeah. So that's another one. But, uh, you know, basically it's the same instruments, how you play it. You've played with so many wonderful people over the years. Now, I always associated you with folks like Mike Marshall. How did you and Mike get together? Well, Mike, you know, was a big fan of the David Grisman band quintet and he was the first kid in florida to buy that record he was already running a little teaching studio he, he couldn't have been more than 18 you know at the time uh but out of his his parents shed in the backyard in in florida he learned just about every tune on that record just as i had learned everything every tune of david's from a previous concert and i just learned everything that he had like from my bootleg tape of the concert that I made myself. And then Mike bought the record and learned everything off that record and showed up at David's house uh, right when, at like a really tough point in the evolution of the band. And, he, you know, Mike sort of saved the band, I think, because, there, you know, there's a lot of personnel changes and a lot of interesting, you know, just tough stuff that was going on. And things that happen when a band gets successful, you know. And uh, Mike kind of showed up with his energy and his ability to play anything and uh, just kind of saved everything. And we bonded because I was, at, up to that point, I was the youngest guy in the band. And then when Mike showed up, he was the youngest guy in the band. So I got to be the big brother and, uh, you know, uh, make sure Mike knew what, what was, you know, the kind of things that were going on, you know, within the group. And, and just so he wasn't, you know, kind of at sea, you know, trying to figure out, well, <laughs> Why does, uh, you know, somebody get really mad when somebody says this random word, you know, things like that, you know, like families, right? There's a, a lady up here that teaches piano. She's taught all of my kids piano named Beverly Marks. She used to play with David Grisman back in the early 70s, too. I think she even went to Europe with uh, Grisman at one point. Did you know Beverly at those date years? I believe, you know, we, we kind of ran into each other, Beverly. Yeah, yeah, she's, uh, you know, one of those folks that were kind of, Orbiting in and out, good musicians who were all kind of orbiting in and out of the, the, the situation. You know, it was back when musicians could afford to live in the Bay Area, and there was so much going on right then, and artistically. And uh, that was a nice time. Uh, it was good for its time, and now, uh, now we're here. <laughs> There's another guy that you used to play with every once in a while, or maybe a lot, and let's talk about him. He just passed away a year or so ago, Tony Rice. Oh, man, Tony. Yeah. Boy, the guy, you know, Tony, you know, obviously, you know, the most influential bluegrass guitar player, arguably, um, you know, I mean, Doc Watson, Clarence White, Tony Rice. Yeah, you know, yeah. And Tony, maybe, you know, who had really 
adapted a lot of Clarence White stuff and it just, you know, kind of really supercharged it. There's a little club of people who were privileged to get to, you know, play in front of Tony's rhythm, you know. It sort of was like playing with Elvin Jones or somebody of that, you know, stature. He was probably the greatest rhythm guitar player I've ever, probably ever lived, I, I think, you know. I mean, there's Django, of course. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great rhythm guitar players, but I think Tony, you know, as far as just the level and, you know, subtlety of what he did, people always talk about his lead guitar playing, of course, because, you know, that's what you hear. But the, the people that were privileged to play, you know, to get his rhythm behind you, really, not, you know, it's, it's a special experience. You know, I wish everybody could have had, but, you know, everybody couldn't have that. But I think it's... It, it affects everybody, you know. I think you, if you talk to Joe Craven, you'll hear the same thing. There is a thing that Tony did that nobody else can do, and uh, even you know, we're talking. We're hearing all about Bela Fleck's new beautiful bluegrass record, right? You're probably, you're probably playing that oh, on yeah. the show, and you know, it's it's beautiful record. Bela's, you know, he's a genius. All these young folks that he's got on there, it's great. Plus the, you know, the the his old friends but you know he didn't even want to make a bluegrass record for years because you know if you can't have tony you you just don't get that thing you know and nobody else does it one of my favorite times watching tony was when you were playing with him at merle fest and you guys did manzanita with sam bush and jerry (laughs) douglas oh man yeah wasn't that amazing yeah that's like yeah it's like you're in like a movie with Clark Gable and, yes. <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And like, I'm a character in a famous <laughs> movie. How did I get here? What's going on? <laughs> like, it must be a dream. I had this weird dream, Felton. It was <laughs> like amazing thing, you know. So, I, you know, if I can provide that kind of experience to the younger folks, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll have done my job. Well, we're talking with Daryl Anger. He's going to be playing at the Nevada Theater this coming Wednesday evening with Peter Wilson, Joe Craven, and John Girton. Daryl, well, we're just looking forward to having you come back to town. You were, you were one of us for a long time. You'll always be one of us. Oh, that's really sweet, Felton. That, that means a lot to me. And, you know, it means so much to be back and, and to see, see all the friends and, and uh, just get a charge of energy from beautiful foothills, man. There's no place like it. We've been talking with Daryl Anger. We'll see you next Wednesday. All right.